This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they roam. Drinking wine in the great unknown. Hello, I'm really excited to be back with the Vigneto podcast. And my guest from this week is speaking to me from Istanbul. I think I'm probably not saying that as she will, but her name is Andrea Lemieux. And she is an author of a brand new book, which I'm holding in my hands called The Essential Guide to Turkish Wine and the founder of a wine writing and consulting company called The Quirky Cork. Hello, Andrea, it's really nice to see you. How are you? Hi, Susanna. Thank you so much for having me. I am fantastic. Thank you. How are you? I, I bet you're fantastic. I'm good. <laughs> I'm excited about this book I'm holding in my hand. First of all, it's beautiful. And uh, it looks like it was so much work. So let's dive right in. Tell me about the book, The Essential Guide to Turkish Wine. How you Tell me about the book. Beginning okay. to end. <laughs> oh, gosh. Beginning to end. Well, beginning... The beginning happened, I think, maybe five years ago. It's, it's been a long work in progress. Um, the book itself covers, in brief, uh, history of wine in Anatolia. And I say in brief because the history is extensive and exhausting. Um, I also cover a little bit the modern Turkish wine industry and, Turk and cult wine culture in Turkey. Um, there's a brief chapter about some of the native grapes that we have in Turkey, as there are so very many. And then the bulk of the book is, is really about the wineries. It's, it's telling their stories because the, the wine industry in Turkey is not, um, it doesn't get government support. It doesn't get a lot of attention from consumers, both domestically and abroad. So when you go into wine in this country, you're going into it because you love it. There are no dreams about making money here. Um, and I really just wanted to tell the stories behind some of these fantastic people. So did you always want to write this book? Did you move to mm -hmm. Turkey with the intention of writing this book? How did it come about? I mean, it, it's also huge. It's very big, this book. It is. It is. Yeah, I want it. And I, as soon as I decided to write a book. I knew I wanted the coffee table style book because I had, you know, I have so many wine books that I've bought and read and the ones that are, are built to maybe, you know, be like a guidebook that are, you know, paperback and don't have a lot of color or photography in them at all. I I've never actually used them. I've taken them all on trips and, you know, added to my suitcase weight with them, but I've never actually used them. So I wanted something yeah, big and beautiful and with a lot of pictures of Turkey to, I don't know, help people connect the images that maybe they have of, of Turkey, like, uh, uh, you know, like the Bosphorus in Istanbul or uh, the um, fairy chimneys in Cappadocia and help them connect that to wine. So that was one of the reasons why it became such a, a big tome. Um, and how I decided to write it, I you know I moved here for a completely different job. I have a normal day job that has nothing to do with wine. Uh, but a number of years ago, I went on a holiday. I can't even remember to where. But while I was there, visited a few wineries, bought that, you know, wines of someplace book and came home. I was like, why don't we have this book in Turkey? This is a country built for tourism and gastronomy and wine. Why don't we have this book? 
I sat around for, I don't know, a few months and was thinking surely one of the Turkish wine bloggers was working on this. I mean, obviously somebody was, and I didn't hear anything and couldn't tell that anyone was working on it. So it was, okay, I'll, I'll do it myself. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I roped in um, my research partner who also became my photographer, uh, Emma Aslihan Basher-Rose. She is a Canadian Turk whom I met in Turkish class here. Uh, mm. And we, uh, we, we just set off and started doing it. We started cold calling wineries saying that we were a couple of foreigners who were interested in writing a book about Turkish wine and could we come visit and take pictures and interview them. And uh, I learned how to drive a car in Turkey. Well, I mean, I knew how to drive a car before. I'm from, right. No, you know, I know what you mean. Okay. Yeah. They're two different things. No, I believe you, me, after having learned how to drive a car in Italy, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so we just started booking tickets because Turkey's a big country. So we would fly to a city, get in a rental car, and then drive a few hours to whatever winery we were seeing that day. And um, that's that's how it started. And it took about four years to complete everything from the research, the writing, the photography. Um, I found a phenomenal designer. Uh, her name is Bashak Guklic. She, uh, she has her own company called Empathia Creative. And she first, I contacted her to do all of my infographics for my grapes. And then when the book started to really become a reality, I was like, hey, if you ever designed a book, <laughs> you interested? <laughs> and she's why the book is so beautiful. She, uh, she's the one who put the interior together and created the cover design. And yeah, she's really, really brilliant. It is really beautiful, actually. I'm looking at some yeah. of the photos in here. Of, I'm looking at a picture of Southeast Anatolia. So did you, you, so you traveled all around Turkey to do these interviews? We did. I think we actually went to all but maybe three of the wineries. A few of the bigger ones never really got in touch with us or, you know, let us come and, and visit, gave us the runaround a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, we, uh, we went to every winery that was in the book. Uh, there are a small handful of stock photography in the book, uh, but for the most part, they are our images, either Emma's or mine. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it took so long was because since I have a day job, I could only travel like two days out of a week and you can only see so many wineries in one day. You know? <laughs> well, and to do them justice, certainly. So. That's a, it's such a big undertaking. What did the Turks think about two foreigner foreign women writing this book? Were they impressed? Were they surprised? Were they annoyed? What was the kind <laughs> of reception that you got? I'm sure there was some annoyance somewhere, um, but you know they Turkey has such a fantastic um, culture for uh, uh, and I'm suddenly forgetting the words in English. Uh, for hospitality. Thank you. Hospitality. Thank you. I can only think of the Turkish word. <laughs> um, so a lot of them, especially smaller wineries that were barely in the market or barely in the market in Istanbul anyway, were so surprised that yeah, two foreigners had heard of them and wanted to come that they rolled out whatever kind of red carpet they had for us. And in so many cases, 
we ended up, we, we learned that you couldn't just make an hour appointment for a winery, especially depending on where in the country it was, you had to make a five hour appointment because you would go mm-hmm. see the winery, you would do the interview, you do all that stuff. And then you would invariably go back to their house and, and be fed and meet the whole family. And <laughs> uh, so it's fun though. It is. It is very, very fun. fun. And, and you got a real, I mean, we got so much more information from those kind of situations than we did from the straight up interviews. Um, and yeah, so I, for the most part, people were very welcoming and very interested in what we were doing. So I know that you also write a blog and do other things as well. So how was writing this book different? Oh, so much different. Um, it was it was a lot of it was different in so many different ways um, because my blog is mostly wine reviews, um, and we didn't add wine reviews to the book at all, just because I mean that you know it changes so much from year to year and it's so subjective. Um, and there was also, I mean, you know, if I miss my personal hashtag wine Wednesday blog post deadline, you know, there's no, there are no consequences, but especially after I told, you know, a hundred some wineries, oh, I'm writing this book and let me do this interview with you because there's going to be a book and let me take all these pictures because there's going to be a book. There was, there was definitely a lot of pressure to finish it. <laughs> um, so it just... I, I was so much more concerned about making sure that everything was correct and accurate and trying to really reflect what people had told me during interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a lot more pressure. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what was your writing process? Did you have a space that you wrote in, a certain way you wrote? Did you write a certain number of words a day? Like, how did you approach this ginormous project when you have a company and a day job? Yeah. Um, I don't have a specific space. No. And I mean, I also work from home. So kind of everything is just spread around my dining table, which never gets used as a dining table. It's a desk and a place to dump everything. Um, I did try to give myself deadlines. Uh, I used, uh, and I used an app that I gave myself to, I, I love making lists. I'm great at making lists and I like crossing things off of them. So I set myself a lot of tasks and had however many reminders that this was due on this day and this was due on this day. And for the most part was able to keep to it pretty well. Um, what is this app? Kind of, sorry. What's this app? It's um, called Asana. A-S-A-N-A. I was going to say, is it Asana? Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. That's a good uh, yeah, I like it. And it's it's fun because once you start really clicking off those tasks, there are those little kind of cartoons that pop up as like a congratulations that you've done something good and you start really needing to see those. <laughs> That's funny. It's like Duolingo. If you if you, you study a language, um, they have these little cartoon characters that come out and they're like, you know, you're doing very well. Um, but I don't remember uh, the the cartoons in Asana. Maybe I didn't check off all my all my tasks. <laughs> as I should have, but um, I digress. So no specific space. A super, did you give yourself a certain amount of words a day? Was it 
a certain amount of months to you know finish the project or did you do things like that too um there wasn't a word a day deadline but it was more you know wanting to try to do um you know like do write up three wineries in a week kind of a deadline right um and we did have a number of deadlines for when I would finish the writing that got pushed back and then pushed back again and a couple more times. <laughs> so I think I finally finished writing about a year after I planned to be finished. So. That doesn't sound like such a long time to me. I mean, I've been having a book in mind for many, many years that I've been trying to finish and it's not easy, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast series because I want to learn from other people what they do. And I, I think it's so fascinating how people get to do these amazing projects. I mean, it, I just if I had this heavy book that I just produced, I would be on top of the world. Are you on top of the world? I'm, you know, I hate to say that I'm not, it just, it, maybe there's a little unreality. Like I see the book, it's right there and I can see it and touch it, but it feels unreal. And then there's still the whole process, the, the whole aspect of, you know, it's, it's not, the book is done, but I'm not done. Uh, because in addition to where it's available online, um, I had a print done here as well. And so I have a thousand copies sitting in um, a friend's currently empty apartment and I'm trying to, you know, get those copies out the door. <laughs> right. So. Right. No, right. Of course, when you do have a book, you have to market it also. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. end with the printing and the writing of the book, but it is very exciting. But is it available on Amazon? It is. I it is, yes. Um, in North America, the UK, Europe, Australia, I think it's available on Amazon. There might have been a few brick and mortar places that have picked it up as well. But since I'm not mm -hmm. in the US, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. And then here in Turkey, it's available in a number of wine shops in Istanbul and a few bookshops as well, as well as their online um, websites, which are online. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping to start making some contacts in some of the other big cities in, in Turkey as well, so I can get books in those cities. Right. Well, that makes sense. So do you have any, in addition to Asana, do you have any tips for as aspiring writers? <sighs> oh, gosh. Um, forgive yourself. Be very forgiving of yourself if you miss a deadline or, you know, you start thinking that it, it's rubbish in some way or, you know, any discouragement that you're that you're feeling. Kind of take a step back. If it's physical or actually just putting it away for a time and coming back to it. And if you miss those deadlines, don't beat yourself up, you know, be be forgiving because it's, it's your project and you can only get it out. And you can only get it out well in the pace that you can get it out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, that, I think that's a great tip. I've yeah. heard that from some other, from some other people with, you know, in different wording, but basically, yes, mm -hmm. because writing is hard. Yeah. It, it's yeah. glamorous, but it's hard. So it do you this have a next like book the, in mind? I do. do. You have a next, 
Of course you do. <laughs> something you want to share or something you're just working on at the moment? Uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to share. We really only launched it officially a week ago today, but I think um, the word is going to be going out soon. I will be working with the illustrious Anna Maria of Unraveling Wine, uh, the, the website Unraveling Wine and Hanya Wine Tours based in Crete um, to do the essential guide to Greek wine. Well, that is fantastic. That is really exciting. The essential guide to Greek wine. So what is the name of this woman's company? Unraveling Wine? Unraveling Wine is her website, her, her mm -hmm. blog, her website. And she also uh, runs Hanya Wine Tours on Crete. They are one of the most successful wine tourism companies in all of Greece, as far as, as I know. Uh, hmm. I was on Crete. I don't remember drinking wine. I remember the tomatoes. Oh. And I oh, remember no, Paris smelling. wine. So now you have to go back and meet with Anna Maria. Uh, I was there in December. So not the most ideal time to visit wineries. <laughs> but Anna Maria took me around to a few places. And it was, it was fantastic. They had some really, really cool grapes on Crete that they don't have anywhere else in Greece. So this is going to be a very exciting project. Uh, little daunting because Greece has just a couple few more wineries than Turkey. Does. I was going to say, did I understand correctly? The essential guide to Greek wines or yes. wines on from Crete? No, Greek. Greek. From, oh, yes. The whole of the from country. Everywhere. Wow. Yes. That is a yes. big project. It is. So <laughs> we're still kind of talking about what the book is going to look like because if I can turn less than a hundred wineries in Turkey into a 350 page book, I don't know what 800 wineries in Greece is going to look like. <laughs> it's going to have to be like a book series. Um, no, but we'll, we'll figure out a way to do it to make it digestible. Uh, digestible, yeah. but still well, beautiful. You know, a book series sounds nice. Like the, I can't think of how you say it in English, but like the Cicledi is what you would say in Italian mm -hmm. or the Dodicaneso or all of those different groupings yep. of islands. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of talked about that. And, and I mean, maybe once we really get into the weeds with the information, we'll, we'll circle back to it. But the thought was that, um, I mean, as much as we would like for it to be Greece and Greek wines don't have the same cachet still as, you know, France. So you can have 3 million books on Bordeaux and Languedoc and, you know, all of the small little places. Um, but would there be that much of a market for a full series on Greek wines? Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Did so. you do a market study before you did your book on Turkish wines? Ah, no. <laughs> I still encounter so many people who are surprised that Turkey makes wine. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> so how much wine does Turkey export, for example, to the United States? Do you know? I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, the U.S. is one of its smaller markets. I would um, think so. Yeah, it's and their export numbers. Um, I, ah, I should have looked this up. I need to look this up. Um, their export numbers are not large. Um, I think the, the majority of the wine gets sold in Turkey. Uh, and the biggest markets are Australia, the UK, uh, Germany and the Netherlands, uh, a few mm -hmm. other countries in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I even heard a rumor that somebody found a Turkish bottle, a bottle of Turkish wine in a shop in Bordeaux of all places. Mm. That's interesting. Um, 
Hong Kong gets a, a bunch of Turkish wine and there's a small market in Taiwan, uh, but slowly, slowly, well, you know. There used to be a chain of Turkish wine bars in New York run, run by a Turkish family. I don't know if it was two brothers or one brother. And I remember trying some Turkish wines at that wine bar. It was called Turks and Frogs. So maybe they were French and Turkish. I don't know. <laughs> Never thought of that before, but maybe they were French and Turkish. Um, but it was fun. It was a fun wine bar on like West 11th Street. I mean, now I'm thinking this is like 10 years ago, but I have not had a Turkish wine in a very long time. And you have, Turkey has so many indigenous grapes, which you talk about yes. in the book. Does um, One of the wineries here, um, uh, Gelvity, which is run by a man named Udo Hirsch, who was originally German, that is not a Turkish name. Um, one of the things that he does with his winery, he produces a small amount, maybe five, 6,000 bottles on the outside. Um, but he works with grapes that are like, no one's ever heard of that are produced in such small amounts. I mean, sometimes he only makes three, 400 less bottles, you know, mm -hmm. from these grapes. But he also is working with some of the research institutes here to study some of these grapes. And there are a few DNA banks. Um, that are kind of keeping track of all of the different grapes that people are, you know, that we know about and finding new ones every year, but it's, you know, it's not a huge, it's, it's not a fast process and it's a mm -hmm. fairly new uh, thing, all, you know, like new, all things considered new. Um, but there's not like a lot of research yet into, for example, grape parentage. Um, so I couldn't mm -hmm. tell you what grapes may, made up most of the grapes that we use or mm -hmm. if they are we, we know a few grapes that we have um are the same as some grapes in greece but mm -hmm. maybe some others are as well or are the same grapes that they use in georgia or you know syria or any of the countries that we touch um i mean it would make sense that they are right right <laughs> but of course yes. there's not a lot of research into that yet that's so interesting. You're in such a different part of the world looking at so many different grapes. I was just looking about this first 65 pages of your book is all about indigenous grape varieties. Yeah. Yeah. That was, and this is, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just saying the, the indigenous grape varieties is really kind of like, you know, my, my thing. I feel like there should be a better word for that. Um, it's really for me, what makes Turkish wine so interesting and, when I give wine tastings, I try to focus almost entirely on the indigenous grapes. And these are the ones that I like to talk about. So when you do these tastings, do you, um, if you're doing them, let's say with Americans, do you suggest to an American, if you like X grape, this Turkish grape is similar. And do people have a really hard time with the pronunciation of these grape varieties? <laughs> yes. Yes, to both of those. Uh, although for the first, I do it kind of the other way around. Like if you like a kuzguzu, you might like these other grapes from these other countries, kind of a kind of a thing. Um, and and yes, there there is some difficulty with pronunciation. Uh, I think joked before with a number of American bloggers about how Americans are afraid of the umlaut. Uh, and not only do we have umlauts, but we have a bunch of other letters that are 
difficult to pronounce. <laughs> do you speak German? I do, sort of. It was my my major at university, so how well I speak German now is debatable. <laughs> well, um, it probably helps, though. I mean, not that Turkish and German have anything in common as, as a base language, but but that's interesting. That's very interesting. So I'm going to kind of shift topics and ask you what area of the wine and spirits world that you're excited by. For example, are there any Turkish spirits that you talk about in this book? Um, there are Turkish spirits, but I don't talk about them. Um, there actually are a number of books already in Turkey about Raka which is the main Turkish spirit. This is like Raqqa country and Raqqa could be equated to um, Uzo or Grafa. Uh, maybe a little I bit remember closer Raqqa. to Uzo. Yeah. I, yeah, I went on a big, beautiful sailing trip once in Turkey and I remember uh, a lot of Raqqa as part of that trip. Yep, yep. Um, it is not my drink, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but because there are already books written on it, I, I didn't touch it um and turkey is making its own vodka and its own gin um i've never actually tried either of those to you know i should probably try those um but one of the things that's really cool about the rocket interest industry is as i understand it for the like since probably forever most raka has been made with the sultania grape which is mm -hmm, also uh -huh. the, the table grape uh, mm -hmm. that they grow here. Uh, but there are more and more producers who are making raka out of wine grapes now. So you'll find Kalajit Karasa raka. And I think there's one coming out soon that's either a Kuzuzu or Boazkere, or maybe it's a blend of both. So it's really, it's really cool that they're starting to experiment with some of these wine grapes. That's really interesting. So is there an area that you're really excited about? Maybe it's Greece. Maybe it's somewhere else. Or a part uh, of Turkey that you discovered while you were writing this book that you uh, didn't know about. Uh, areas, and you mean like geographic area? Yeah. Like what's, um, what's, what's kind of your latest real passion in the wine world? Oh, gosh. That is... I, I feel like I don't know if I've had time to develop one because I've just been working on this book. Um, towards the end, I was actually technically, I was finished with the book and I found out about a relatively new winery in Turkey's Southeast. So kind of down where the Iraq Syria border is. Um, it was another Assyrian winery. So one of the small, you know, tiny communities of Christians surrounded by um, very, very conservative Muslims in that area. And I went down to visit them partially because they have grapes that no one has ever heard of before. And it was really interesting to learn about the grapes that they have down there. And I think I would like to explore that a little bit more when I get, when I get time. Um, they didn't that make it into really... the infographics because we knew yeah. so little about them, but. Right. That sounds very exciting but also kind of how was it to visit a place that close to the border where things have not been great for years and years and years were you well accepted I mean were there any difficulties as a woman to travel no, in no. any of these places 
No, no, not at all. Um, and and with them, it was they they sent someone to pick me up at the airport, and you know I was taken right to the village, which is a, a Christian village. They're they're all um, Assyrian Christians, so there mm-hmm. were no problems, just like culturally, religiously, as far as that goes. Um, and it's it's interesting because we were not terribly far away from a city called Mardin, which is also very close to the border. I mean, you can see Syria from Mardin. Um, and it's one of Turkey's largest tourism, uh, largest tourism cities. And people have not really? stopped going there yet, regardless of the problems. It's, uh, Mardin is, is this very cool city, just visually, it's, it's a stunning city, but also because they have this huge mix of religions very old Christian religions like the the Assyrians and the Chaldeans, but of course there are also uh, Muslims. I believe there's a small Jewish community hanging on down there, uh, and they are they produce some of Turkey's most beautiful silver work. They do this very very I can't remember the proper word for it, but they do this very very delicate kind of filigree, filigree work. Yes, yeah. um, there's there's a special Turkish word that they use to describe these things though. Um, and so it's, I don't think they've ever stopped with tourism and they've not, to my knowledge, really ever had a lot of security problems. Um, That's so interesting. What is the, what is the winery called? Or the town? Uh, well, the one the- that I went to visit in, um, uh, which is a little bit closer to Shirnak province is called Midin Winery, M-I-D-I-N. And the one in Marden, um, kind of Marden media area is called Shilu. So they're like the only two wineries in the book for that chapter. <laughs> there are not a lot that's, of commercial wineries down there. Wow, that's that's really exciting. This must have been just such an also, so this book is also not just about wine, but it's kind of a travel log, if you will, right? You're it, discovering it, these parts of Turkey and yeah the history of these parts of Turkey that people don't know anything about. I mean, Americans little, generally. Yeah. And, and I tried as best as I could to like in the introduction to each region um, to mention what interesting tourism sites there are because Turkey is dotted with so many ancient Greek uh, ruins and like the, the sites here are absolutely incredible and they're just everywhere. Like you turn a corner and you stumble over something old. Um, so yeah, it really is a great country to combine like traditional tourism and enotourism. Yes, I remember I did not uh, do enotourism, but I was sailing. But I remember also tripping over these unbelievable tombs in the sea in Kekova. Mm-hmm. that were like Etruscan mm-hmm. ruins on the coast. I mean, it's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah, it was just a beautiful, beautiful, exciting place to live. Uh-huh. So I, um, I'm very impressed that you've lived there for nine years and <laughs> gotten by and done all of this and wrote The Essential Guide to Turkish Wine. Hats off to you. Um, you. You may not feel satisfied because you've got more to do, <laughs> but I certainly think this is an impressive achievements. So congratulations. I remember when you told me, I spoke to you a while ago, maybe it was in a different piece of the pandemic and we spoke on Instagram and you told me you were writing the book, but you know, that look at now I have it and here it is. Yeah, it is. Every once in a while I look at it and I feel like that excitement, like, 
that's my name on the cover and I actually Oh yeah. Like on I, the cover, a huge book. A huge <laughs> tiny book. So I think and this is maybe the third or fourth book I've attempted to write. And the fact that I finally finished one made me very happy. <laughs> yes. No, it's very impressive. So hats off to you. Congratulations. You. So just you want to tell people what the name of your book is again and your website. Uh, so the book is The Essential Guide to Turkish Wine. And if you are outside Turkey, it's available on Amazon. Uh, my website is The Quirky Cork, uh, where I write mostly about Turkish wine, but also about kind of whatever interesting and quirky wines I can find. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Susanna, so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Well, that was such a great uh, conversation with Andrea Lemieux of The Quirky Quirk and author of the new book, The Essential Guide to Turkish Wine. Thank you so much for listening to the Vignetta podcast. I really appreciate it. The podcast drops bi-monthly. You can find it usually on Fridays, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Vignetta, a podcast. From the sun